Good morning. A couple things to add to your uh, prayer list this morning. Uh, one, we just found out that Pat Bishop passed away early this morning, a little after 5 o'clock. So please pray for her family. And then also learn that Bobby Dirksen is in ICU um, with some with pneumonia and some pulmonary issues. So can we take a moment and just pray for them uh, now? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for your providence over the earth. Lord, we love you. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you be with uh, Pat Bishop's uh, family and friends as they grieve her passing. Grateful for her faith, Lord, and uh, thankful that um, she has a, a testimony of a life lived uh, with Jesus. And pray, Lord, for uh, Bobby. Just pray for her healing, that you'd restore her um, and give her strength in this time. Let the care that she receives be excellent and appropriate. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Pray that you would uh, speak to us and, and uh, through me uh, to this congregation this morning uh, through your word. We pray this again in Jesus' name. Amen. You know her. You've seen her. Her face is plastered all over the marquee at the theater. For, she, sure, she takes different looks as needed, but for over a hundred years, Hollywood's success has depended on the storytelling power of a leading lady. Hollywood has featured many of these leading ladies over the years, but near the top, if not at the pinnacle, stands a woman named Aubrey Hepburn. Movies like Roman Holiday and Breakfast at Tiffany's have cemented her reputation as the consummate leading lady. Watch. The mouth of truth. The legend is that if you're given to lying, you put your hand in there, it'll be bitten off. Oh, the hard idea. Let's see you do it.
thank you so much for being here today. If you're uh, new here at Chapel Rock, I'd love to meet you when we're done. I uh, should be down front. Please come down, say hi. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate those of you uh, who do that each week. If you're local to Indy, please come see us on site. And whether you're watching online or, or here in the room, take a second, fill out your connection card. Uh, let us know that you're here. Happy Mother's Day today to all the moms. Uh, we recognize that for some of you, today is a joy and there will be, you know, a special meal and flowers and chocolate and cards or maybe some combination of those things. Um, but for others, maybe those whose mom or even a child uh, has passed away, um, today's hard. Um, for, uh, for those who would like to be a mom and can't be, today is hard. Scripture says that um, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. And so if people are around, around you today are rejoicing, then rejoice with them. If people around you today are grieving, then grieve with them. And no matter who they are, you just love them like crazy, okay? Um, today I'd like for us to consider a woman who is really only mentioned in two chapters in the whole Bible, and they, those two chapters each tell the same story, <laughs> It's just she really only gets talked about once. It's just the, the, the story is told in prose in Judges chapter 4 and in poetry in Judges chapter 5, but it's really the same story. She stands as a towering example of one of God's ultimate leading ladies. I'm talking about the woman named Deborah in the book of Judges. So open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Uh, this book describes the chaotic and tumultuous time in between Joshua conquering the promised land, Israel conquering the promised land under Joshua, and God raising up ultimately Saul and the, the kingship of David in his line. There was this, this time, several hundred years pass between the time of the exodus and entry into the promised land and the time of the kings. We have this era called the time of the judges. This time was a mess <laughs> because what's happening to the people of Israel in this time is that they're going through this cycle over and over and over again, and it looks like this. I start at the top. Israel is at rest. They become careless in their worship of God, which leads them into idolatry and apostasy. That's a fancy theological word for abandoning your faith. That then leads, the, when that happens, God sends a pagan nation to oppress and discipline them. To try to, he, he told them he'd do it. He said, if you walk away from the covenant, I'll send foreign nations in. They'll invade your land and take it. And that happened. And after a time, they realize, wow, we messed up. And so they repent and they cry out for deliverance. And that, that'll go on for a little while, and then God will send a judge to deliver them, and they'll be delivered from their enemies, and they'll have peace for a while, and then they'll become careless, and then they start worshiping idols. And this happens over and over and over and over again. So when we come to our text, and you see the phrase, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. That <laughs> They re-entered Another round of this cycle. In fact, this is going to be the third time, at least, that they go through this in the book of Judges. The book of Judges serves as a cautionary tale of what happens when you don't effectively pass on your faith to your kids. But it's also kind of a shared experience story about our universal struggle against sin. Listen, when you read the book of Judges, if, you've, if you're trying to live a godly life, 
you can identify with this. If you're trying to live a godly life in a world that doesn't care, you can identify with what's happening because you'll do okay for a while and then nosedive, right? And, and, and sometimes you get stuck in this cycle of sin that you just can't seem to break out of. Every addict of any variety can see parts of their story in this book. All of us know the frustration of wanting to do the right thing and finding yourself back doing the, the same old sin over again. And God is good, and so he puts people in our lives to help break that cycle, to help bring us out of it. And that's what's happening in the book of Judges. Much like the great movies of Hollywood's golden era, the, the book of Judges speaks powerfully to the human condition at the same time that it pushes back against conventional stereotypes and subverts our expectations. Over and over again through the book, the, the person that you expect to be the hero is not always the hero. <laughs> Heroes can come, leading ladies and men can come from the most unlikely place. <laughs> Got Ehud, he's a lefty in a world of righties. Got Gideon, he's hiding in a hole when God calls him. <laughs> And you've got Deborah. See, female leadership in the ancient world, while not unknown, was exceedingly uncommon. And so God is going to use a leading lady. What I want to do today is speak to and encourage the women here this morning. Guys, you may overhear something that's beneficial and helpful to you. I think you'll benefit by it. But, but I specifically want to speak to you gals today. Now, before we read the text, though, I want to make sure that you have in your mind our big idea this morning because that's really gonna shape how we understand this passage. Here's the big idea. When a lady follows the Lord, he makes her a leading lady. When a lady follows the Lord, he makes her a leading lady. Now this process is not always neat and tidy. It's not always up and to the right, <laughs> okay? In fact, the text illustrates this perfectly. I will warn you, it gets really gruesome at the end, okay? Which is kind of par for the course in Judges. <laughs> that's normal. Um, and after we read it, some of you may wonder, why in the world of all days on Mother's Day, Casey, did you pick this text to read to us? I actually have a point, and I'm just going to ask you to trust me and let me get all the way through this before you judge me, okay? So let's look at this together. Uh, Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, you need to know, in this day and age, an iron-fitted chariot, and it doesn't mean it was made out of iron, it means it had iron plates or defenses or wheels or spokes, some part of it was iron. That was the pinnacle of military technology. It, that was as good as it got. It was absolutely king on the battlefield, okay? And he had 900 of those. This is a big deal. Verse four. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of, wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. 
I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent near the great tree in Zaanim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Side note, the simple fact that a swordsman could beat a charioteer was almost unheard of in the ancient world. This is a big deal. We'll explain why in a little bit. Barak pursued the chariots as far and, and army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim, and all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, we met him back in verse 11, and the family of, or excuse me, because there was an alliance between Jabin and the, the king of Hatzor and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in, do not be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her, and if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Just then, Barak came in by, in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed him. God made Deborah a leading lady, and then because Barak was weak, God exalted Jael in a crucial moment to save the people of Israel, and she became a leading lady too. What about you, ladies? How does this happen for you? How do you become a leading lady if God has not called you to send a nation to war or nail a guy's head to the ground? I hope he hasn't called you to do either one of those things. I think the story of Deborah would suggest two, two answers to that question. Here's the first one. How do you become a leading lady? First answer, always trust the word of the Lord. Always trust the word of the Lord. The theme verse of Judges is found in Judges 17, verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. She saw fit. The people in that time who did follow the word of the Lord stood out. And sometimes they had leadership thrust upon them. For 20 years, Israel was oppressed by a Canaanite king, Jabin, whose capital was in the city of Hatzor. Now, I want to show you a map just to give you a sense of where this is, okay? Um, the, 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 up in the top there, the red underline, that's Hatzor. So it's north of the Sea of Galilee. 
It was a Canaanite city. Um, down there where you can see the little swords crossed and the number two next to it, that was where they fought the battle, okay? And then Mount Tabor with a small little underline under it, southwest of the Sea of Galilee, that's where it, the, the army of Israel had camped out. So they got the high ground. Mount Tabor's a tall uh, mountain in that region, but it's flat-topped. So you can group 10,000 people on top of it. it it's it's good-sized, good, well, they call it mountain. We, if you've been to the Rockies, you'd call it a hill, okay? But it, it's good size, okay? So... That's where this story takes place, okay? The text tells us that Deborah was a prophet, which is actually a really rare uh, use of the female form of that word, and that she's leading Israel. The word translated leading is normally translated judging. Now, for the Hebrews, that's a pretty specific term. It's used two ways. The first way it's used, primarily the way it's used in uh, the book of Judges, is as like a military leader. So, so like the commander-in-chief of God's armies to take vengeance against the pagan peoples who are oppressing them. That's the way the word judge is normally used in the book of Judges. It's not the way the word is normally used throughout the whole Old Testament. The way it's used throughout the whole Old Testament is someone who is more of like a civic or national leader who helps um, decide civil cases, who helps uh, decide who's right and who's wrong. That's the way it's used through most of the Old Testament. That's the way that they're using it here about Deborah. She has a place of prominence, a place of national, if not, if not national, then certainly tribal leadership. Everyone's coming to Deborah to have them decide what they're doing. Or if they've got a dispute with somebody, she, this is a big deal. Now, this same word is used in Exodus 18 to talk about all the people of Israel coming to Moses with their issues and their arguments. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, that'll be important later, says to um, Moses, his son-in-law, you need to appoint some judges. So Moses does that. He appoints 70 men to help decide all the cases. So he only handles the big stuff. That's the same word that's used about Deborah. She is in rare company in this passage. She's in a group that includes like Moses and the, the, the origin of the Sanhedrin. This is a big deal. She's a leading lady. And the second part of her leadership is shown in the dialogue between her and Barak that happens throughout the text. It really focuses around this word translated go. Now the word in the original text is pretty flexible. There's more than one way you can translate it. Normally in this passage, it's translated as the word go. Um, the literal meaning of the word is walk. Okay? So, and it just depends on the context. So what Deborah is saying to Barak in verse six is move it. Get stepping, you know. Come on, man, get going here. I want, you, I want you to look at verse eight and nine again. Look at this with me. Look at verse eight and nine. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, she said, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. This word go over and over and over again, it kind of focuses their dialogue. We'll see it one more time in verse 14. Once Sisera is in position for the Israelites to have the high ground at Mount Tabor, uh, we read then, if you were to go on and read Judges chapter 5, it tells the story from a poetic sense. We find out that God actually sent rain and it swamped the ground. Remember they said, the text says they were going to the Kishon River. At the time of year that this battle was fought, the ground should be dry. But it wasn't because God sent a rainstorm. And, and all these iron chariots that were the pinnacle of military te technology that are great on a nice, hard, dry plain don't work in a swamp. 
and they got stuck. And that's how a swordsman is able to beat a charioteer. <laughs> this is really God's, God fighting for his people. The point in the text is that this leading lady, Deborah, is the only one who's really listening to what God is saying. Now, I was talking about this with my Debbie on Thursday night. We got the chance to go on a date, see the Tolkien movie. It was awesome. Uh, even she liked it, so that's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, I knew I would. But <laughs> uh, So we're driving back from the movie, and we're talking about... Um, the, uh, you know, I'm talking about my sermon and, and what, what I'm planning on doing. I said, it's interesting that the text just keeps saying over and over and over again that Deborah is the only one who's listening to God. And she's like, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, I want you to understand today that if you want to be a leading lady for God, you got to always listen to him. You got to trust his word. Sometimes even when it doesn't make sense. Deborah gives Barak a literal message from God. He has a divine guarantee of success, and he doesn't listen. He doesn't trust the word of the Lord. She does, and God exalts her as a leader. Leadership coach Karen Miller tells a story about how she and her husband needed to identify and develop some leaders for their new church plant. One Sunday morning uh, at their new church, they had a woman named Irene. She was uh, in her 70s, and she just took the initiative to set up the communion table at this new church plant. Karen noticed that then Irene went around and began to to make sure everything else was in order, and people just kind of naturally did whatever Irene asked them to do. She wasn't bossy. She wasn't mean. She just made sure stuff was getting done, and she went around, hey, would you do this, please? Can we, we want to make sure that this is nice for all the new people who are coming, and And people just tended to follow Irene. They just did what she asked. Later, Karen talked to her and said, Irene, have you ever considered that you are a leader? (laughs) She goes, oh, no. No, I'm not a leader. I just serve where I'm asking. I just do what needs to be done. Several months later, the church received a visit from a missionary to Rwanda. And he told the church how he was dreaming of starting an orphanage and a school for children whose parents had been murdered in the great genocide that happened there in the 90s. And the church, this new church, decided, we got to help. And so again, the leaders turned to Irene and they said, would you, we don't even know what we want to do, but would you do something to help this, new, this church start an orphanage? And so she got together, uh, they said, let's do a banquet, like a fundraising banquet, and, um, and we'll see what we can do with that. So Irene took the bull by the horns and went out and visited a caterer, and somehow she convinced the caterer to donate most of the food. Then she talked to a banquet hall, and they gave them a huge discount. <laughs> and so did the tech people who came to do the lighting and the sound. Nobody could tell this woman no. She wasn't bossy, she wasn't mean, she just had a plan, and God was leading her. On the banquet night, 200 people came. Enough money was raised to build the school's first uh, dormitory as well as the, the administration building. After Irene went home to be with the Lord, the church later found out that this yearly banquet that she led was one-third of their annual operating budget. God used her in a powerful way to support the school in Rwanda. Ladies, my challenge for you today to become a leading lady is to always trust the word of the Lord. Every one of you in here has a responsibility to lead someone, somehow. Maybe you have little ones in your home. You have a responsibility to lead your little ones. 
Maybe it's your friends at school, for those of you who are still in school. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe your little ones have grown up and had little ones of their own, and now you have grand little ones that you can lead. Listen, you may be the only one in your whole orbit who's really listening to the word of the Lord and following him. You need to trust him. Always trust the word of the Lord. If you want to be God's leading lady, always trust God's word, which means you've got to be in God's word. <laughs> you've got to know it. And if you do that, he will equip you to lead well, maybe in places where nobody else is. Trust him. The second way that you become a leading lady is to use what God puts in your hands. Use what God puts in your hands. When we first read this passage, I'm gonna guess that at least one of you, probably several of you were thinking, dude, that's messed up. Like, Casey, what were you thinking picking this passage on Mother's Day of all days? Why in the world would you read this? This is just warped and twisted, man. And some of you guys were probably thinking, why did you put that idea in her mind? I haven't gotten flowers yet, Casey. Thanks. I'm not sleeping tonight, apparently. Uh, you know. Well, guys, you should have known that anyway. <laughs> uh, it's on the calendar. If you've been anywhere lately, you've seen the ads. It's Mother's Day today. Um, and, and you should know, man, don't, don't tick off the girls. Just... You should know not to do that. Um, I found something this week that blew my mind. There's a little girl somewhere out in the world on the wide, wide internet um, that has trained her pet bird to attack people that she screams at. <laughs> this happens real fast. You gotta watch close. It'll, it'll play a couple times. Check this out, watch. He's dead. He's dead. Don't mess with girls, all right? If you don't learn anything else today, guys, get that figured out. So I told you earlier that Deborah gives Barack a literal message from God. He's got a divine guarantee of success, and he doesn't listen. So because of that, Deborah makes a prophecy that God will deliver Sisera into the hand of a woman. But it's not the one we think. See, the, 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 the narrative here does a masterful job of telling the story. Because we think it's going to be Deborah. But it turns out to be a woman who's anything but Deborah. See, here's how this narrative works. In verses 10 through 14, we've got this sense that we're building up to a big battle, right? It's this, oh man, okay, here we go. We're getting ready for a big fight. And then in verse 11, there's this weird, random, like, interruption. We meet Heber the Kenite. Like, who, who is he like a cousin of Barbie's friend? We don't even, what in the, who is this guy? We don't know. It's just this weird interruption, and then we're back into the build-up to the battle. Now, here's the thing. Look at, look at verse 11 again with me. Look at this. It says, Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent near the great tree in Za'ananim near Kadesh. Okay? So we've got this, this, it's like out of place. It seems, what in the world? Well, we find out later that there's a connection to this woman named Jael. Okay, Heber is descended from Moses' brother-in-law. Remember Jethro, we mentioned, he points, tells Moses to appoint judges. So you got this reference to Moses, all right? Moses' brother-in-law um, is, is the ancestor of this guy, Heber. Jael marries into the family. So there's kind of a distant connection to Moses. But we don't know anything specific about that connection. 
Was she a Canaanite who married a Kenite? We don't know. I mean, if that's the case, then her motivations are completely inexplicable. Was she an Israelite woman who married a Kenite? We don't know. I mean, that would, it might explain what motivated her actions, but as verse 17 makes clear, there's a political alliance between the Bedouin nomadic Kenites and the uh, Jabin, Sisera's boss, Jabin, the Canaanite king. So politically speaking, she should not have done what she did. Regardless, this is weird, but that's not the lesson for us. Both of these leading ladies have a connection to Moses. Deborah in the way that she's spoken of, okay, and Jael in in family connections. But they're described in very different terms. Deborah is depicted like we think of classic golden era Hollywood, you know, star, leading lady, right? She's, She's depicted as calm, cool and collected. She is regal. She's holding court. The whole country's coming out to her to listen to this woman, right? She's like, she walks into the room and every head goes, that's Deborah. Jael, not so much. (laughs) The way that she's described in the text is anything but Deborah. (laughs) Starting in verse 18, J.L. subverts every single social norm of her time and place. First of all, the text says she goes out of the tent to receive Sisera. In their culture, that was the man's job, but she does it. Okay. Secondly, then, he asks for water, and she gives him, the text says milk. It was probably more like a thin yogurt, <laughs> which he, she doesn't give him what he asked for. That breaks the rules of hospitality. Um, Then she says, come in, my Lord. Now, that word translated come, it's the word for walk. It's the same one we looked at earlier. It's normally translated go. But here it's translated come, all right? So she's saying, step right on in, which when you know what she's going to do later just sounds creepy, right? It's weird, right? And then here's the other thing. Inviting someone into your tent, also the man's job in that culture, But she does it. She's supposed to lie for him. She doesn't do that. Because by the time Barak gets there, he's dead. (laughs) There's no need to lie. All the things that Jael is supposed to do, she doesn't do. And the stuff she's not supposed to do, she does. And we have no idea why. This is quite a story. All we know is that she too, in eliminating the Canaanite general, is doing the will of God. And she did it with what was in her hand. She used what was near to hand. That's the point. She used what God puts in her hands. She she used what she knew. (laughs) See, it was the responsibility of women in that Bedouin culture to set up the tent. That was was the woman's job. (laughs) She set up the tent. She arranged the house the way she wanted it. (laughs) Jael had spent most of her adult life wielding a hammer and a tent peg. She knew how to use that. She was good at it. She'd done it week after week, probably for years. And so God, Jael used what God had ordained to be in her hands to accomplish his will of delivering Israel from oppression. And in so doing, she fulfilled Deborah's prophecy and took the honor of the victory away from a warrior, one more time subverting the social norms. She simply used her, can I use this phrase, movie buffs, particular set of skills to win a victory for God's people. 
want to show you a picture. You talk about a leading lady. Here's one. This is a picture of Margaret Hamilton standing next to the computer code, a printed copy of the computer code that she and her team wrote to send the Apollo spacecraft to the moon. <laughs> you have more technology in your pocket right now than we sent to the moon. And here's the, here's the woman who led the team that wrote the code that sent the Apollo 11 to the moon. She was the lead software designer for NASA's Apollo program, and her forward thinking in 1969 saved the Apollo 11 mission when the flight software she designed prevented a last-minute abort of the famous landing that brought humans to the moon. Over the course of her career, Hamilton developed the concepts of asynchronous software, priority scheduling, and human-in-the-loop decision capability, which became the foundation of modern software design. She also fought for programming to be given the respect it deserved. In fact, she coined the term software engineer. And after all her work showed, software could make the difference between failure and a groundbreaking success. Back in October 13th of 2015, there was an article in Wired Magazine that said this, the lunar landing was one of the first times that software was ever entrusted with such a mission-critical, real-time task. And the application development work for that feat was placed in the hands of Margaret Hamilton. For many years, her name was unknown. But in recent years, the general public has begun to appreciate just how much this trailblazing woman's work changed our world. Hamilton was actually awarded the Presidential Medal of Freeman by President Barack Obama in 2016 for her contributions to the Apollo 11 mission. Now, Margaret Hamilton and JL, separated by 3,000 years and lots of technology and lots of culture and language, actually had something in common. They both used what came natural to them, despite it contradicting the social norms of their day. Ladies, if you want to be God's leading lady, all that's required of you is to use what he's already put in your hands. To use what he's gifted you to do. Has God put you at home with little ones? Use that. Has God given you a career? Use that. Do you have little ones and a career? <laughs> Use that. Is your career over and your little ones gone? Use that. Do you have a particular set of skills that few people have? Use that. Are you really good at one, one thing? Use that. You use what God has put in your hands to serve his people and you'll be one of his leading ladies. Deborah and Jael are never mentioned outside the range of these two chapters in this one book in the Old Testament. Not one other time, even though Barak is. <laughs> Go figure. I don't know why. It's an inspiring story for all people, and especially women. No, not to embrace the violence of war or the gory detail of secret assassination, but to trust God when he speaks and to use what he's put in your hands. See, what I've been trying to tell you this morning is this. When a lady follows the Lord, he makes her a leading lady. So here's the question. Are you following him? Because if not, you should start today. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing together. A time, have a time of response. 
And this invitation is open to you. If you need to follow the Lord, I would encourage and challenge you to do that today. You can't become a leading lady or a leading man until you're following the Lord. And so I'm challenging, are you doing that? Are you really truly following him? If, if you're ready to say, I need to follow Jesus, then you come to the front as we sing. See, our victory over sin and death was also won by someone pounding home a spike. Jesus endured that for you so that you can receive grace. Let's stand together and sing, and you respond as God leads you.